well said, well said. Today is Tuesday, February 25th, 2020, time for episode 103 of the Barnhart Podcast. And Lent is upon us soon. As I'm recording, It's we're within two hours of Lent, so I'm getting my last glass of wine and my last piece of dark... Actually, I finished the dark chocolate now. So until Easter, I'm done with alcohol and done with uh, dark chocolate. I assume you're giving up stuff too, like, for example, news of what's going on in Rome? <laughs> Uh, alas, that is not on my list. Also, I am also going dry for Lent, as is tradition for me. And I'm adding um, several, you know, prayer things. Um, one of them, which I just recently posted, and <laughs> it's, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to be snarky and, and say that it's it's extremely penitential, but I posted Psalm 118. And I think it's the longest psalm. It's 176 verses. And it's a, every single verse is, you know, David, King David saying how much he loves the law. And um, I'm going to, one of my things to do, adding things to do, is to pray slash read Psalm 118 every day. Um, So. That's one little thing that you could do. But yes, I'm definitely cutting out the alcohol as well and going dry. And and um, it's, it's a good thing to do. I think it's a really good thing for people to do. And, and it's, you know, it's getting to be each year. I don't know. It gets, it gets easier and easier. And so I don't know. I'll... Still thinking of maybe some other things to do, but but that's the big one that I've that's official right now. Well, you already beat me to the point or to the punch on on asking what you're going to do in addition to or what positive thing you're going to do in addition to giving up something. It's always traditional not only to give up something that's a, a legitimate good. I mean, obviously, you always need to give up sin. That's that should go without saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, the mobster saying I'm going to give up killing for Lent. Awesome, but you need to do that three three hundred sixty five days a year, um, or three sixty six in a leap year. But you also need to do something positive. And spiritual reading is a very common one. So understanding that you're going to be doing the Psalm one eighteen initiative, cool. cool. Everyone else, um, you know, spiritual reading is a good one. Alms giving is another common one. Um, check your local listings with your parish. There's always recommend or there should be recommendations of what to do during Lent. Um, the whole list, and if, and if they don't post it. Um, email the podcast we can definitely go through the doctors of the church it's not like they've never written anything about this that's one great thing about the catholic church we've got 2000 years worth of history or if you count the the jewish tradition beforehand there's lots of, of uh, tradition before that of being penitential and and giving alms to the poor as well so we have a tremendous um legacy and, and history to fall back on if you have any questions about any of this Absolutely. Yeah. The the church did not spring into being um, at, at Woodstock or whatever, you know, whatever year in the 1960s that people want to draw the line. I mean, the, it, it goes all the way back. And um, the other things about fasting that you can do is in the East, they have a, they have a very, uh, they, it gets to the point where um, when you get to Holy Week, it's, pretty much 100% vegan and but you start cutting things out 
um, gradually as time pro progresses. So, you know, week one, you cut out this week two, you add that. Um, so by the time you get to the end, you're not having any dairy, you're not having any eggs, you know, you're not having, you're basically, you're basically vegan by, by the time you get to Holy Week. So, um, yeah, look up. And what is that called? In the East, it's called the Black Fast, I believe. Or yes. you can just look up, yeah, Eastern Eastern Byzantine Catholic um, Lenten Fast. Things like, you know, search engines are your friend. They can be your friends. So look, just look that stuff up. And if you want to get more, um, if you want to step it up this year in terms of dietary fasting. Um, and I know that a lot of people... You know, for me, I've been on the one meal a day uh, bandwagon for years now, pretty much. Um, and so, when it comes when it comes around to Lent, it says, "Okay, you're not you're gonna you're gonna eat less." Well, you know, if you've already been um, on the one meal a day program and you've been doing um, 24, 36, 48 hour 48 hour long fasts all along it kind of stands to reason that you need to do something more. Um, it probably isn't a great idea if you're already, you know, fasting at that level to eat less. It's just a matter of what are you eating or what are you not eating? You know, are you, are you cutting out meat? Are you cutting out, um, probably for me, um, one thing that I do enjoy that I will probably not now have until after Easter is sushi. When I can, when I can have sushi, um, that's one of those things that you can cut out. But for now, at least, um, I am going to be, and we'll talk about this in the context of, of prepping and so forth, but, you know, more lentils, more hard boiled eggs. And <laughs> for me, one thing that's a little bit penitential, not my favorite thing in the world. It's not my least favorite thing in the world, but not my favorite thing in the world is tuna. And we'll be talking about tuna here in a few minutes in the, in terms of, um, in terms of prepping. So just, just backing it off in dietarily and, um, I think it's it's really good for you too. So I'm really looking forward to this Lent. I think this Lent is going to be especially, especially um, productive isn't the right word, but it's going to be especially fruitful, I think, for a lot of people this year, because a lot of people are really waking up and realizing that we we all need to buckle down because things are just getting getting to be so serious right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at what's going on, and these are the the notes we're going to get to in a minute about what's going on in Rome. You have to scratch your head, and even if you, let's say, are open to uh, questioning the situation of who's actually the Pope, um, either way, you look at this and say, this is a dumpster fire. And yeah. and you look at this and say, yes, one of them has to be the 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 symbol of unity, but unity with what? And <laughs> let's, let's get back to that in a minute. Uh, episode 102, we talked quite a bit about uh, the, the Kobe Bryant, uh, the death of Kobe Bryant and the, the, uh, the how it would be awesome if somebody did a, a, a solemn high requiem with the full absolution of the catafalque. I assume you saw the email last night. Um, yeah. Some, somebody, Some. somebody offered a very generous donation if it to as a stipend to the priest and, and also for the cost of the camera crew or the people who set up the cameras to, to do a full solemn requiem uh, for Kobe Bryant with the, with the absolution of the catafalque. Um, awesome. I, I don't know who the contacts are to, to contact locally about that. Um, 
this this was not geographically based. It's just, hey, if somebody's going to do this, um, I'd like to help. Yeah, I mean, it's I've been trying and it just nobody seems to be <laughs> there's not much um, momentum being generated behind this. And I think it's really sad. We're, we're not going to make it on the 30 day anniversary. What day did they die? Was it like the 26th of January? Or something I think like today that? is the 30th. Day today is the 30 day and that's a shame and um you know father z is over in the middle east doing a pilgrimage over there so he's not available and um but yeah we do we do have a four figure budget right now to make this happen and it, you know god is not limited by time or space or anything like that so we can just because we're past the 30 days and they have done um they did a public memorial service celebration of life thing um, a, a couple of days ago, not too long ago. No, it was it was yesterday. I'm Michael pretty- Jordan spoke, Shaq spoke, and of course Vanessa Bryant spoke. I didn't watch all of it, but it was, you know, it's that that's all really nice. But it's it, the point of all of this is is that it's not it's not praying for the dead. It's not praying for the repose of anyone's soul. It's not. It's, it's just, oh, he was so great. These are my memories. You know, I, it didn't come across as, um, from what I saw, it didn't come across as the, the canonization. Oh, they're saints in heaven now. It was more, I don't know, it was just more tear jerky. This is what Kobe Bryant meant to me. Da, 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 da. Again, very nice, but it's not it's not a requiem it's not the fir- the first thing that we should all be doing is be is praying for all all nine of them praying for the for the repose of their souls um and i i don't know it's just well it's done they 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 had their memorial service it's finished well you know let's not abandon these people um let's hope they're in purgatory and and let's let's get them out if we can as quickly as possible and one of the ways to do that is by having a requiem said and it's just and it's spiritually productive for everyone and it's again not to be crass and say i want to lever- say you want to leverage this tragedy but if we can do something that will make more people look and realize and say, oh, hey, this is actually, this is the faith. This is what we should be doing when when somebody, when people die. Instead of having a, a celebration of life thing, which you can do, it, um, the Irish call it awake. You know? <laughs> I mean, um, that's when you all get around and uh, gather around and talk and tell stories and all that. But we need to pray for their souls too. We need to have a requiem and we need to let the world see this. So yeah, we do have a four, a low four figure budget here. So if anybody out there listening, fathers, if you are willing to organize this and, and you've got people who have audio video capabilities and we can get this thing live streamed or recorded, at least recorded and uploaded somehow, um, I think it could do. I think it could do a lot of good. You know, it would be a search term on YouTube, uh, presumably, Kobe Bryant Requiem. You know, something like that, and up it would come, and there would be, there would be the beautiful, beautiful rite of the church, praying for the dead. So, if we can get it done, let's not 
just say, well, shrug our shoulders, the 30 days has passed. Let's still see if we can't, can't get something done on this. Absolutely. And, and with regard to the fatal helicopter flight, got uh, feedback from some military aviators, some non-military aviators, and people who are just into aviation. And uh, the, the the naval pilots that one of one of them that wrote in said why why couldn't they just switch to IVR and flight we did that all the time in Southern California somebody else sent a link to a video um, uh, I think it's AV Web and and uh, he was describing the FAA rules under which the the air taxi service operates and actually uh, IFR the instrument flight is forbidden I didn't I did not know that and this was news to the naval guy too um, so just more things to um, I guess take into account. I guess uh, they're 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 already looking at changing some of the rules with regard to Part 135 about making uh, black boxes and uh, terrain awareness uh, possibly mandatory, uh, making IFR optional. I don't know. We're talking about moving legislation, and that that'll take a while. And it's it's you know you're going to get all kinds of industry input on that. So. If you're if you're an aviation geek, it's it's raising a lot of questions, and and sometimes it takes a tragedy where either a whole lot of people die or somebody very high profile dies to get rules changed that maybe should have been changed, and this is a case. So, and I don't know if we if we talked about this in the last episode or whether we were just chatting about this um, off the air, so to speak. But what I still don't understand is we have the technology to make basically um heads up it seems to me a simulated vision of of what's in front of you so that you could be in the cockpit of an airplane or a helicopter and have and have the the glass the windshield that's surrounding you it seems to me that we have the technology now that you could flip flip some sort of a switch or turn something on so that some sort of augmented reality um could could become visible in a heads up way like a flight simulator so that you could you know continue to have a visual reference but have it be a completely computer driven um li- like a simulator like the screen of a of a flight simulator i don't understand why there's nothing there's absolutely nothing there's no heads up horizon there's no heads up anything it seems to me that that's that's a billion dollar that's a billion dollar invention right now, and I'm really surprised that nothing like that exists yet. Um, you know, it's, it's easy. it would Go be ahead. very expensive to implement that in uh, commercial helicopters like this. Now, the Sikorsky helicopter he was in, they're not cheap. You're not going to go buy that, you know, for the the price of a Toyota Camry. That's yeah. <laughs> that's uh, probably about a million dollar. Actually, it's probably twelve million dollar helicopter. I, I don't know. It's not cheap, is the point. However. Even though it's not cheap, there, when when you start going, th- and I think this is actually addressed in this video, and I'll put a link to the show notes. If to make things perfectly safe, including what you're talking about here, virtual horizon, augmented vision, mm-hmm. whether it, whether it's a heads up display or something F thirty five style, where they're wearing a helmet that actually projects everything virtually. Ah, um, yeah. That becomes you can make it perfectly safe, but at what cost? It gets prohibitively expensive at that point. And then you're defeating the purpose of what you're getting at. Um, air travel, you can end up in a day wrecker. It's it's just part of what comes with comes along with with the territory. Um, there's always the chance you're going to have a landing you don't walk away from. Mm-hmm. And 
flying into fog is something that uh, the 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 helicopter pilots that did email email in. One of them said that uh, he there was twice he he uh, had had to ground um, ahead of time uh, to avoid the weather, and you never ever 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 even with all the fancy uh, instruments and everything, you never want to want to fly through fog if you don't have to. And in terms of having reference to a horizon or whatnot, you've got that in the cockpit. It's just a matter of are you looking at at your normal sight line out the window, or as soon as you white out, do you look down? You know, come inside is is one of the the phrases I've seen in, in print about the the discipline of of flying a helicopter or or any kind of flight is that instead of being outside the aircraft looking at at the the natural landscape, mm-hmm. when when you have a white out or brown out or some kind of situation where you can't see what's going on out there, you've got to come inside and look at your instrument so you don't do something dumb like roll ninety degrees or one hundred eighty degrees and end up going nose first into the into the dirt. Mm-hmm. That's that's just a, a discipline of, of flying as, and, and for the pilots, I'm not a pilot, so don't, don't excoriate me if I'm getting this wrong. But, um, the reason you don't have a lot of practice in this is primarily you try to stay away from this, especially yeah, yeah. if you're under VFR, don't fly through fog. Yeah. And I don't know that they train for that. I, I don't think for, for VFR flying, they train for landing in fog. Yes. The, the helicopter has instruments on there. The pilot probably knows how to use them. But uh, and this was a surprise to me. The Part 135, which governs the air taxi service, which is the rules under which the helicopter is operating, they're not supposed to use. You know, they're not supposed to fly IFR. Mm-hmm. So the idea of of saying, "Hey, we've got weather. I need to switch to IFR." They there is always the magic phrase a helicopter or a pilot could use in you know say, "I'm declaring emergency." Yeah. And at that point, it's whatever can get you down safely. We're going to clear the way to do it. But mm-hmm. you better be damn sure you really had an emergency, especially in Los Angeles or, or the airspace there, because the minute you declare emergency, everyone else gets vectored out of your way. And that's busy airspace. Yeah. E- even on a Sunday morning, that's that's fairly crowded airspace. So if you just did this because you were nervous, that's probably your last flight. Well, yeah, that's the thing. If you watch, uh, there's an entire genre on YouTube of um, video videos reenacting showing demonstrating um crashes um plane crashes etc and you say well that's macabre that's horrible it's actually really good and a lot of them are are done by the government in fact because they're so instructional and it it you know it's this really sobering way to see what went wrong what happened and if you if you're a pilot especially you can watch these videos and put yourself in in the shoes of the pilot who ended up usually most of the time they end up uh with fatalities obviously and um one of the things that they talk about is that pilots are so scared of declaring an emergency and you can see that there are instances where the pilot absolutely should have declared an emergency oftentimes revolving around running out of fuel but they're all so terrified that if they declare an emergency, that it's there. First of all, there's going to be an investigation, and then they're afraid that they're going to lose their license. Da 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 da. So there's it's this. Yeah, you shouldn't be declaring an emergency for for trivial reasons. But on the other hand, on the other side of the spectrum, I, I think there's probably sometimes way too much fear about declaring an emergency and you know i'm not going to declare an emergency unless you know there's smoke in the cockpit the plane is on fire da 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 um i'm not but they 
they won't declare an emergency when they should um, at, because they're not willing to risk um, losing their license, being investigated, so on and so forth, because it is a big deal. So Is it, is it because most pilots are men and they don't want to ask for help? Also that, you know, I don't want to ask for directions. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, but it's it's one of those things, you know, it's that walking that that line in life, knowing when you need to ask for help and then being willing to ask for help from other people and not being too proud, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's um, like I said, there's a whole genre of those videos on YouTube and they they generally involve, you know, the actual audio um, and like we've shown and linked to in the last show, there are all kinds of ways that you can ha run a flight simulator showing the exact route and so on and so forth. And these, these videos, they're sobering and they're interesting. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit macabre, but it's uh, so educational. Not that I, I'm a pilot either or would ever have anything to do with piloting, but it's also interesting to watch just in terms of human psychology um, about people doing the wrong things, making bad decisions, um, not paying attention. There's there's several instances of, of professional pilots, like jet, private jet pilots, just not paying attention. And you would think, wow, that, that can't even, how is that even possible? But it happens. It happens to everybody. So... Well, I mean, there are cases of people driving a car just not paying attention. And I'm not talking about texting. I'm just momentarily not paying attention and and get into a, a collision. Yep. It, it can it can be literally a couple of seconds, and you're in a situation that you can't recover. Yep. So we're now in that that weird interstitial space in terms of technology between. Um, you know, as these as these technologies come online, both with cars and and flight too, about automation and so forth, um, it's not to the point. I don't think it's to the point yet. The technology is to the point that um, the the self driving cars, for example, I don't think that they're they're superior to humans, and they're these self driving cars are making some pretty terrible mistakes, um, and so we're not to the point yet where the automated side of it has gotten to where it's just completely, totally far more reliable than a human being. And I think it's just a risk of anything, you know, you can't, there's no zero risk environment ever. So it's, uh, it's tough and it's just, it's just awful to see such a tragic loss of life as the Kobe Bryant crash was of all nine of those people. Just, you know, you get that big sense of waste, but Hopefully, it hopefully good will come out of it. We'll we'll put it that way. Well, and, and if if nothing else, a reminder that you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So yeah. go to confession, go to the sacraments, get topped off on grace as often as possible. Remember to pray. Remember to tell your loved ones that you love them. Mm. Um, don't miss an opportunity to do charity. That that's certainly a lesson we can always take from it. And every so often, something's going to come around, uh, some kind of tragedy, to remind you that hey, I haven't, I haven't really appreciated my my family as much as I should, and you know, sometimes it's a tragedy we don't have that reminder as often as as we should, and and the tragedy is really our own at that point. So, yeah. Okay, we've put this off as long as possible. Um, Benedict or Cardinal Sarah, somebody put out a book, and did that 
Influence Carita. How do you even pronounce that darn thing? The the, the document that Francis put out. Pachamama Conqueso. Right. So yeah. Cardinal Sarah <laughs> and Pope Benedict, uh, or maybe just Cardinal Sarah. Somebody put out a book. Some somebody published something. Oh, I think it was. It's very clear that it was the two of them together. That Pope Benedict wrote half the book. Cardinal Sarah wrote the other half, and then they. <laughs> I believe that they collaborated on um, introduction or something like that. Oh, Pope Benedict wrote it. Make make no mistake. And people saying, "Oh, no, 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 he's too old. He can't write." Oh, no, no, no. I um, actually had the opportunity to meet someone and was talking to them face to face just a few days ago, who has ha- had an audience with Pope Benedict in Rome within the past two weeks. And he is completely mentally lucid. He's 92. He's old. He's skinny. But he is completely, totally mentally lucid. Um, And, you know, still speaks multiple languages and can flip between languages instantaneously. And um, so he's completely able to be productive. I think that he... um, uh, a, a lot of his writing now, I suspect, and I think I've, I think I've heard this elsewhere too, is that he he use, he's dictating, um, you know, if he isn't you know typing with his own fingers, that it's no problem for him to get someone in there, and he, and he dictates like people used to do a lot, um, so, yeah, I I, Car, uh, excuse me, uh, Pope Benedict, I I think it's absolutely clear that he wrote half of that and you know i made the post what does the pope do he confirms the brethren and yes it looks like archbishop georg ganswine has been essentially fired by everybody oh other interesting thing i specifically asked the person who had the the audience with pope benedict within the past two weeks and no ganswine was not there and that's the first time i've heard of anyone within the last seven years, having an audience with Pope Benedict and Ganswine wasn't there. So interesting, interesting that, that Ganswine might be not, he, he's not just been fired by anti-Pope Bergoglio and is no longer hanging around him. They might have tossed Ganswine completely out. And now Ganswine isn't even hanging around Pope Benedict anymore, um, which in my mind, is is a good thing. I've been saying that Ganswine's dirty, and Ganswine keeps saying, he keeps like doubling and tripling down, no, Pope Benedict didn't write it. It's obvious that he wrote it. Pope Benedict, you know, had a telephone call with Cardinal Sarah when Ganswine was, had left and was not there, Pope Benedict wrote a statement that was delivered to uh, the Secretary of State, and it was never released, certifying that he wrote the thing. He has a telephone call with Cardinal Sarah. They're weeping, you know, and and hello, this is Emmerich unfolding before our very eyes. Emmerich has, you know, in her in her vision slash prophecy, that she sees the Holy Father shedding many tears. There's no one around him that he can trust. Well, hello, that's exactly what's going on. Emmerich is, Emmerich is unfolding before us in real time. Um, 
And yeah, he wrote it. He's he's the Pope. He confirms the brethren. And that put the the breaks on the whole Pachamama Conqueso thing. The Pachamama Conqueso thing was supposed to have an entire section that explicitly ratified um, this business of having these these um, viri probati or whatever it is. It's it's it was just a way to get married, sexually active married men ordained, and and get them on the altar celebrating the mass. Now the Germans will probably still do it anyway. And it, very interesting. It's very, very interesting. Um, it's just exactly as with Paul the sixth and humana vitae. Um, Paul the sixth initially wrote humana vitae to open the door to contraception. He had, pr he had been promising all of his Freemasonic infiltrator buddies for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do this. We'll, we'll open the door. We'll, we'll get the the crack opened in the door to to get contraception in. And then, of course, the document, as he wrote it doing this, was intercepted by Cardinal Ottaviani, who at the time was the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Um, Cardinal Ottaviani, you know, probably probably a saint. Um, pray for us, Cardinal Ottaviani, if you're if you're a saint in heaven already. Um he intercepts this thing, cuts out all of the all of the pro contraception garbage, and rewrites it, and inserts inserts the the good parts that everyone now quotes about Humanae Vitae. Paul the Sixth then promulgates it with Ottaviani's corrections, and all of the infiltrators, all of the communists, all of the sodomites, all the Freemasons, are absolutely livid with Paul the Sixth for. Um, you know, basically stabbing them in the back and not going through with it. And so at the at the end of his life, everyone hated Paul VI. Everyone hated him because the people, the actual Catholics, the people on the right knew what a language alert, knew what a shit he was. And then all the people on the left hated him because he didn't he didn't uh, ratify contraception in Humana Vitae. And so at the end, everyone hated him. Isn't it interesting now, Pope Benedict, you know, does what popes do and confirms the brethren. And now and now a lot of the the Freemason infiltrators are are pissed off at anti-Pope Bergoglio because, um, you know, he the, their plans have been thwarted. I mean, it, it literally is like backroom evil um, evil villains out of a comic book movie sitting around a, a board table stroking their mustaches and all of this and, and, and trying to get these evil plans um, promulgated and into effect. And look what happens. Look what happens. The Holy Father Pope Benedict just throws a wrench into all of it. He confirms the brethren and threw, threw the brakes on it. But having said that, you know, that, that document, that document came out and everybody's like, oh, we dodged a bullet here. Everything's fine. Da, 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 da. Well, yeah, Pope Benedict saved every, saved everyone's skin by confirming the brethren and writing that book with Cardinal Sarah. But if you read the Pachamama Conqueso document, that thing, it, it's an absolutely nauseating 
um, call to shred the first commandment, the first commandment. It is, it's calling for idolatry right and left. It's calling for integrating the wor- the worship of demons into, into the liturgy of the church. And the Freemasons must just be absolutely jumping up and down because it's basically a call a call to pantheism, you know, which is which is at the core and the heart of Freemasonry. So I don't know what these people are thinking who are who keep saying, oh, it's fine. We dodged a bullet. You, you didn't dodge a bullet. You just went from, you know, which commandment would that be? The the married priest, that would be a species of um, sacrilege. And uh, so you're looking at like, you know, second and third commandment and now if you're going straight to idolatry and calling for the worship of demons in the context of a catholic liturgy which i mean is it is it catholic at at that point anymore well it does not specifically call for the worship of pachamama but if i understand correctly from listening to another podcast it did mention uh encountering jesus through the animals of the amazon and through the the trees which are their own being yeah um if St. Boniface had encountered uh, his his uh, sacred oak tree today and, and did today what he did then, which, by the way, net a conversion, he would have been castigated for uh, proselytism, uh, triumphalism, um, making converts, um, not being mm. in, in line with ecology. Uh, yeah. And it, yes, it does definitely lead to objective demon worship. But I would say, based on my understanding, and I say this not having read it just listen to somebody talking about it on a podcast it's it's white demon worship for the time being it's just generic we should be more at one with nature obviously if you deny christ you will follow the demons um yeah psalms 95 5 all all the gods of the of the the heathen or the, the gentiles are demons if you're not with christ you're against him and that leaves one option and it's not the holy spirit it's the other spirit yeah. So it's the Kedita or Kerita or Kwanzi, whatever the Amazonia, <laughs> the Amazonia document. It's not blatant demon worship in its letter, but that's exactly where it's headed. But it's talking about the spirit of trees and the spirit of, you well, know, I think it refers, a, well, and this is based on what I heard is talking about the, the, the trees represent a being i don't think the word spirit was used but if you're gonna get going to get to some kind of um disembodied entity like that it's either the holy spirit or it's a demon you're right yeah yeah so it's i i I like the way you put it that it's it's got that that quote unquote white um it's it's white demon worship at this way it's not you know all 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 kneel down and and worship the demon called uh, Pachamama or something like that. I mean, the, the but, best case scenario is you could interpret this in the classic Vatican II sense. You could look at this and say that there is a, there is an interpretation that doesn't violate the faith in the fact that all things that exist, you can encounter Jesus through them because Jesus being God is the source of being for all things that are. Therefore, God exists in the wall. God exists in the tree outside. He exists in my car. That's a very different thing from sacramental presence, though. 
Oh, yeah. But they don't bother to make that distinction. They just say, Jesus has a presence here. Hey, that's not what we care about, dude. Let's get with the, the theology and philosophy of the actual Catholic Church here. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head making the distinction between, you know, sacramental presence. Um, because that of course the objective and it's it's not as if they haven't already been wildly successful in this. And I think that one of the the reasons that they think that they can get away with this is because the the entire program of the infiltrators and ultimately of Satan is to attack attack the church militant by attacking belief in the real presence. I mean, everything, everything that they have done for the last hundred years, basically. And then obviously with, you know, the promulgation of the Novus Ordo, it's obvious that what, what, and they were pretty much explicit about it. What they're trying to do is to try to just eliminate belief in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. That is the sacramental presence of God with us. And um, that's, they've been so wildly successful in terms of that, that now they can now make that, they can now jump that river now and say, well, now look, he's everywhere. Well, and you you made the scientific point that yes, he, I mean, who, who, who or what holds every electron in the universe in its valence shell orbit around the nucleus of whatever atom it's it's in orbit of you know they still have absolutely no idea about that physicists have absolutely no idea why electrons stay in their valence shell orbits well god is not only did god make all of that and of course we know that everything is is made through the second person um through him all things were made as we say in the creed um so not only is all the entire universe made through Christ, but there's also that that sustaining that that constant sustaining presence and power. Oh yeah, absolutely. But that's not what um, that's not what they're they're going for. Talking about you can be edified by sitting sitting and thinking about things like that. That's not what they want to do. They're they're just driving towards pantheism, and that ultimately that leads to um, worship of yourself. And then what that leads to ultimately, because yeah, if you get into some sort of a cult, a cult of man like Freemasonry, where on the surface they're saying we're we're worshiping um, we're all divine and we all possess divinity, so we're going to worship ourselves. Anybody eventually is going to come to the realization that they are not God. Believe it or not, believe it or not. I mean, we we don't have the power to, you know, override the laws of physics or or anything like that. And we don't really have the we don't really have the power to understand the laws of physics. Yeah, well said, well said. And so we, when in our day to day lives, when these bad things happen, and and to a large extent, we are powerless to control macro level things that are going on. We can make our decisions of what we do, but we, again, I mean, can, can I wave a magic wand and make the coronavirus disappear? Well, no, I can't. So 
people who get sucked into this trap of worship, worshiping themselves as God, you inevitably come to the conclusion that you're not God. And so then you start looking out at something else to worship. This is why Freemasonry at the very, very top is the overt, the, the actual worship of Satan. Because it's they start people into Freemasonry, worshiping themselves, worshiping man, and then you, the 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 deeper you get and go into that, the more you the more you realize that that you yourself, we humans, we're not God. We have to be looking for something external to ourselves. Well, you've already rejected the one true God. So now the what's left and what they get sucked into is worshiping Satan. That's how Satan games all of this. Start, start people off by worshiping themselves and worshiping humanity. And you can see clearly that's where all of this is going. And it all eventually leads to the, the actual overt worship of Satan. And as we've discussed before, here on the podcast and in writing on the blog, yes, there is the actual cult worship of Satan going on inside the Vatican. Absolutely. In fact, it's I think that it's very safe to say that the Vatican today is the nexus of Satan worship on the face of the earth. I don't remember the source, but I want to say that I read someplace that there are actually three separate um groups within the Vatican that all have their, it's like their own chapters of Satanism or I don't remember if it's Satanism or Freemasonry. It's at that level, it would be the same thing. And you mentioned it's the same thing. Yeah. Well, at that level, yes. But the vast majority of Masons, especially here in the United States, they don't understand what Freemasonry Correct. is about. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the term porch Masons. They, they are on the porch. They don't understand really what's going on inside the temple. And those who go inside the temple just think they're acting out some play acting thing. They don't really understand what's going on here. The very, very few American Masons truly do. Yeah, it's true. And it's it's important to reiterate this because so many of us have um, relatives who were Freemasons. My grandfather was a Freemason. Um, and it, that's exactly it. I don't think... I think most of them, it's just a Protestant social club that does philanthropy. And, you know, if you owned a business or were were a gentleman, you know, this culture's kind of gone. But if you were kind of a gentleman in your community and you were a Protestant, you, yeah, joining the Masons was kind of on the table as a, as a social thing. And a colleague at, of mine just a couple of years ago, he's not he's not a he's not a protestant he's actually jewish but uh, he, he was talking about joining the masons simply as a means of networking and promoting his business is like do you realize what they stand for and i wasn't even going to give him a full polemic on this it's like what do you actually i didn't say it quite that way i said what do you think they actually stand for and i said i don't know i don't care i just want to promote my business yeah and exactly they, they get yeah. a lot of people in that way yep and you know that back in the day what would they do they get together drink coffee play cards, you know, that kind of stuff. And I absolutely agree that especially in North America, it's different in Europe. It's very different in Europe because it's it's much more overtly political in Europe. In the U.S., it's more of a social thing. And I think the vast majority of those people lived, died, went through all that and never had any idea 
what it was. Now they, this is, this goes to my, <laughs> my critique of just p- people in general joining things and not having any curiosity about the thing that you're joining. So, I mean, okay, you're, you're Lutheran or whatever, or you're, you're Methodist, you're Presbyterian, you're, you're whatever you are. Why would you belong to something and not know anything about it? Oh, and also, hello, Catholics too. Why would you be belong and uh, affiliate yourself with anything and have absolutely no idea what that thing is and have no intellectual curiosity about it? Or if you're part of an organization, why would you undergo a particular ceremony or ritual without understanding what it's all about? And you squids who are listening will appreciate this. The first time that I went across the equator, I didn't want anything to do with the whole wog ceremony and and the the shellback ceremony because I thought it was stupid. And having observed it, and of course I did not get a – I just didn't get any entry in my my record that I had crossed the equator – uh, the second time I went across, I was like, okay, this is just a dumb thing we do. It's a, it, it's, it, it's uh, the history of it goes back to the Vikings and, and, and the, the hazing and, and uh, quite frankly, physical torture that the, the new sailors on their first cruise would go through was all about who had the physical stamina to actually, you know, live the life of a sailor. Okay, that's a, so. What is this? What are you talking about? What do they do when? You- oh, it's just a it's just a hazing ceremony when you cross the equator. It, it, these days, it's just part of the the club that you've you're you know, you're a shellback. You get your shellback card and and you can prove that you've crossed the equator on a naval ship and you're part of the the crew. So it, what's it, the hazing? What do they do? Yeah, it's it, it's the hazing is very weak these days, and it may have been outlawed altogether. Where I was going with this is understanding understanding what the the historical significance of a ceremony is. If, if you're just doing something because, hey, that's what the group does, may not be the best attitude. Understand yeah. what, what the history is. What's the significance of it? And I didn't understand what it was the first time. And it's like, what? I'm going to volunteer to get the the crap beat out of me just because we're cro- crossing a line on the map? Sounds stupid to me. Mm-hmm. And and did a little more research. It's like, okay, fine, whatever. I can eat some hot sauce for two hours and go through some other stuff and get a card and say, hey, I'm part of the club, whatever. Nah. Yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying. And like Catholics going to mass, how many Catholics just have absolutely no clue what the mass is, what's going on and live their whole lives. And, and that's, this is what, what absolutely blows my mind. How could you go to mass presumably every Sunday for your entire life and never ask the question, what's going on here? You know? What, what is this? What, where did this come from? Zero intellectual curiosity. Just go, show up, sit, zone out, zombify, leave. You know, I mean, and people live their entire lives like that. And I, I do not comprehend it. So, you know, one of the reasons it took me years and years and years to finally convert um, is because I needed to know if I'm going to join join up with anything, I need to know exactly what it is. What is this? I, and it was something as profound as, you know, your relationship with God, the worship of God, and the fate of your eternal soul. 
um, really, really, really need to have some information here. And in this day and age, there's just no excuse. There's no excuse to not to not know these things because we all carry baby televisions around in our pockets with us at all times that gives us unfettered access to everything translated instantly into our own mother tongue if it's not already written in our own mother tongue. And the free app exists to learn all the other tongues for crying out loud. Why haven't you mastered Russian and French and German and Italian and uh, Hungarian is on Duolingo now. I mean, you can master every language there is if you just want to do it. And of course, that's the problem. People don't have the motivation to do anything, whether it's morally neutral or positively good. They're too damn lazy to do things these days. Well said. Well said. Although I'm, I am not going to be learning Hungarian or Russian anytime soon, even if Duolingo has it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> That's not laziness. It's, it's actual fear. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid of the Hungarian language. <laughs> I don't know that there's a ton of, of course, I'm going to get emails from Hungarians on this one, but I, I don't know how much, um, how, how rich the, 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 the literature or the literary oeuvre of, you've got me using that word now, uh, in Hungarian is, as opposed to if, you, if I could learn Russian, I could read Dostoevsky in, in the original Russian. And I'm, I imagine there's some existential angst that comes across in that language that just doesn't come through in translation. So, oh, Why do you think there are all of these myriad translations of Dostoevsky? Because it is so incredibly difficult to capture um, the the essence of of what he wrote in translation, and so you've got multiple translations, and it, it it's almost it's interesting to almost go and read. Um, you're not reading about about Dostoevsky itself. There's an entire um, category of writings about people talking about the various translations and, and, you know, the nuance of this translation versus the nuance of that translation. And this person captured this aspect, whereas this other person captured this other aspect better in the translation. So it's one of those things. And I think it's largely the same with Dante as well. All of these different translations of Dante, it's, it's the same thing. It's what did, what the, the translator capture, you know, what aspect of it is this pointing out, but it's always incomplete. And, you know, it's <laughs> to sound very snooty and like we've gone to Oxford or something, it's always so much clearer in the original Greek. You know, that's the joke. It's always much clearer in the original Greek, where, of course, I know that Dante is written in in Italian, of course, and Dostoevsky is written in Russian and so on and so forth. But it's just the joke is you say it's always so much clearer in the original Greek because that's that sounds very snooty. So, well, and you would have to understand the dialectical differences of where Dante, where would where would that have been written? Was that Northern Italian? Florence. Florence. Okay, I feel like an idiot. I should have known that off the top of my head. Yes, Uh, he's from Florence, and um, actually, that's the birthplace of opera. I just learned that this last week in in uh, Dr. Bob's podcast. Um, yeah, Florence is an amazing place, but I, w- I would definitely learn Italian first f- because I love opera and, and, uh, there's, there's a, a rich, uh, collection of literature that comes out of that. I probably would want to learn Latin first. I'm getting off topic. We had something we were talking about with regard to Oh, Pachamama. we never get off topic. <laughs> it was something. 100, 103 episodes in. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, we, I think we asked that question at one point in time. Would you prefer these long rambling podcasts where maybe we get to the point or just short 20 minute things where it's just on topic and it was a resounding no, just do the long podcasts. Do, do the long rambling ones. That's right. <laughs> where we argue about which language you do, would you learn on Duolingo if you actually wanted to apply yourself to learning a language. Hungarian, clearly. <laughs> I would go with Japanese before Hungarian. Ooh, Japanese is supposed to be really hard too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, so many people speak English and English is, is crazy and irregular, but it clearly can't be that terrible. It can't be that hard because so many people are able to pick it up. And then you start watching those language videos on YouTube. And then you do realize how relatively grammatically simple English is. Um, and you say, wow, uh, it makes you it makes you feel dumb and it makes you feel kind of inadequate that you that you do speak a relatively a relatively easy language there are some languages that are just out of control crazy that i do not understand how non um you know mother tongue learning it as an infant i don't understand how people learn some of these languages that have you know nine declensions and and just wild, wild um, grammatical cases and and everything has to agree. And how I, I don't un even understand how people can think in some of these languages because they're so grammatically complex. But it just goes to show the the wonder of the human mind and and how it is able to pick up all of these things. And of course, I've mentioned this before, don't get me started on tonal languages, all of the Asian languages where, it isn't just the the syllables that you're saying it's the tone in which you say them so whether or not you say ma or ma is the difference between you know talking about your mother and talking about a goat or something like that a you horse. know it's just a horse yeah it's 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 absolutely crazy but we're all we're all very spoiled with our easy English. That talking about Chinese, and I had a Chinese coworker, and I talked with them about this, and and he said, yeah, it it's a rich source of humor in, in the Chinese language in a way that we can never imagine in English. Mm -hmm. But the other really cool thing about Chinese is when you get into Chinese poetry. Okay, so we we understand in, in English, if you can make the lines rhyme, that's that works for poetry. Now look at Latin everything ends in one of three different letters. So it's easy to make things rhyme. So you don't just have the same, the, the last uh, syllable rhyme. You have like the f last four syllables rhyme. Look look at the, the DSE ray. It's not just the endings. It's like four syllables at a time yeah, yeah. per are, are rhyming. Well, now when you get into Chinese, not only do you have the rhyming going on, but they start putting melody to it as well. So their Ooh. poems sound like songs. And oh, I see what you're saying. So you're rhyming the tone. Oh, yo, that double level. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Talk about four-dimensional chess, yeah. Right, right. Wow. I would still well, do it I would still do Italian first simply because I love opera and and talking about the the complexities of language it reminds me that uh, Mark Twain wrote something about um he wrote an essay on verb tenses in Italian. And how they just made no sense to him, because I guess he was studying Italian at one point. Maybe it was for opera, maybe it was for something else. But it, it, it also reflects, um, w when you learn another language, you begin to understand some of the 
some of the conceptual ideas that go into the language. I mean, there we've ta- I think we've talked about this before that every different language has words that express some concept that exist in those languages that just don't exist in other languages, or maybe they get imported. And a classic example from German is Schadenfreude, taking joy yeah. in somebody else's pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, that's a German thing to do. In English, we have the word eccentric, where we have these people who are clinically need to be uh, watched, but they're harmless and they're rich. Just leave them on their estate and, and keep a, a nanny or two around them. They're fine. They're they're, they're insane. They're yeah, crazy. Yeah. They're yeah. they're clinically crazy, but they're harmless. So just they're eccentric. Leave them alone. And every language has the, these these different idiomatic phrases that that it, it expresses more about the I guess the mindset of of, of the people themselves. Yeah. Than anything else. And the fact that the Italians would come up with two or three more tenses than even Latin had. It's like, what are you doing? Are you trying to split hairs even more finely? Or, or is this about arguing how many angels can dance on the head of a pig? Well, okay. Actually, Aquinas was Italian. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's an interesting idea, but I would still I'd definitely Japanese for Hungarian. So we there was the idea <laughs> that we were going to talk about prepping at some point, and this well, had this see, had to do with coronavirus. You see, the, you see what the segue is? China. We're just talking about we're just talking about Chinese. So there's your segue right there. I don't know how to say coronavirus in Chinese uh, other than something wong. I don't know. <laughs> something wong. Oh, you're terrible. Oh, boo. <laughs> It may, that might be the name of the. I think that might be the title of the podcast. Something wrong. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> so carry on, sir. Oh, I thought you were going to take this. No, just the whole idea that the the coronavirus is uh, a continuing top international news story, and I had it in in the notes when I wrote this. The day after we published the last podcast, I carried over the notes from the previous podcast we didn't get to thinking that I didn't have enough for two hours in, in my notes. And and I said, uh, coronavirus and global supply chains, parentheses, this is a developing story, could push this to later. Yeah, and and um, not only are different companies, I think Apple was the first one to openly announce we're going to take a, a uh, revenue hit this quarter because of supply chain issues coming out of China. I have lost count of the number of companies who have said something similar. Um, the... The Dow has been falling in the last few days because of the supply chain issues. And Apple particularly is susceptible to this uh, because Tim Collins or Tim Cook, who is the CEO of, of Apple right now, the reason he was elevated as high as he was, even while uh, Steve Jobs was still alive, is he was the master of international supply chain. His his expertise is not being the the cross-legged genie guru telling people what next awesome thing we're going to invent. His specialty is figuring out how to organize international supply chains to deliver just in time and being able to swap out entire huge components of them without interrupting the whole thing. At one point in time, Samsung was the company making all of the processors for iPhones. And I think they, I don't know if they're still making the memory units for iPhones as well, but Apple got a better deal with, uh, TSMC, it's it's a Taiwanese semiconductor corporation of what's happening now. I think it's TSMC. And they just made the swap from, from one iPhone version to the next. Production did not miss a beat at all. So apparently that's pretty advanced science to be able to pull off at an executive level, and Tim Cook is the master of it. The problem with that is 
that if you are relying on your international supply chains to be moving like clockwork and something messes with the clockwork, that could screw you for years. Well, at least for months, and that's long enough to lose significant market share. And it, a lot of Western economies have, or Western companies have been looking at, um, especially in the last few years, Apple and the way that they have been able to have basically minimal inventory on hand of things that they're about to phase out. So when they go from iPhone 11 to iPhone, whatever is next, iPhone 11 Plus, 11S, 11 12, when, when they make that switch over, they are cutting supply chain months ahead of schedule or weeks. I don't forget how tight it is. But by the time they cut over, they've got almost nothing. It's negligible of the unsold previous version. Sure, they discount it. And people like me say, I'd rather take a discount on the old one because nothing really new changed on the new one. So they, they don't have massive inventories of stuff that they can't sell. That's something that's very profitable. And you look at the, the historical price of Apple over the last 10 years, and it bears out. Um, they're just better at this than anybody else. And, and people trying to copy it, they can get close. But if your supply chain, which all sources out of China, now you can't export things. You've got factories shutting down because uh, everyone's walking around. And um, well, if they can walk around, they're, they're, they're quarantined and they can't go to work. Now things you can't sell iPhones that can't be made. And um, th this this gets to the topic of having a sufficient inventory of things on hand for just being able to live. Um, it, it reminds me of a story, I think it was on uh, Marketplace, uh, the, the radio program done by American Public Media. I don't remember what decade this was even, but it was talking about the difference between Western supply chain and Russian supply chain. And the whole idea of adopting um, just-in-time inventory for manufacturing in between uh, East Asia and, and, and uh, the Western countries and how that was becoming more efficient as opposed to the old Soviet style where at every stop along the way you had massive stockpiles of stuff because at every step along your supply chain, each step was very unreliable. So you, the, the, the flow always worked. Because even if a factory at step seven of the process went down for two weeks, you still had a stockpile of stuff that by the time you got three-fourths of the way through your stockpile of stuff that came out of that, that step in the chain, the factory got back online, just kept, you just caught up again. But Western economies were getting to the point where if there was any interruption whatsoever, any black swan event that you could think of, whether it was a sudden currency fluctuation where suddenly now the American dollars purchasing stuff coming from Asia can't purchase what you need because the dollar dropped in purchasing value all of a sudden. Or it could go the other way as well, that if the dollar's purchasing value went so high, it created a demand pull inflation on the Asian side, and now you got a mess over there. It, you, you, anything that messes with the efficiency of the system can throw the whole supply chain out of whack. And that's what we're looking at right now. I mean, we're still in the very, very early phases of it. And in terms of politics, this is something where... You know, four weeks ago, you know, Donald Trump is looking like there's nothing that could stop his reelection. The The Democrats look like they're about to to nominate an outright communist to be their nominee. Trump is riding high in an economy that is way better than it was four, three years ago. Um, except if so, this black swan out of China derails all of the inventory systems. I, I don't know. Maybe you can spin it toward we need more American manufacturing 
and and pull these these uh, capabilities back over to the uh, over to this continent instead of having it over there. Oh, but- what are you talking about? That's crazy talk. Yeah, th- we've been talking about this for years and years. It's it's two things. It's the it's the notion that the best model is the one hundred percent hand to mouth zero inventory model, which is you just went through is great and is efficient until that one little thing happens and then then you're toast you know and the other thing that we've been talking about for years and years and years is the fact that the american economy has been transformed into basically a service economy and and a large proportion of that service economy is actually stuff that's completely useless i'm not saying that all service components of an economy are intrinsically worthless. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when you get to the point where you've got people doing stuff that's just absolutely non-essential, largely meaningless, a lot of it's wasteful, and that's your entire economy, and you're not making anything, nothing. I mean, there, there's so little now is actually produced in the United States there's no textiles being produced there's no steel being produced there's just there's just nothing being physically made in the united states and this is not a a good long-term tenable situation and is this going to be something that that lights a fire under people and makes people say that hey maybe we should be making some of the um as as you and i super nerd have been discussing um off the air um medical supplies things like that maybe we should be making some of that stuff domestically so that we don't get caught in a situation like this maybe we should not throw a hundred percent of the production capability for massive huge swaths of physical of necessary physical commodities to the chinese not not only because you know they're a bunch of they're a bunch of communists but also because you just shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket there should be a diffusion across the planet of production of certain of certain physical commodities and you can't just hand everything over to china and say well we're we're just going to let you guys make everything um it's it's incredibly risky just in and of itself and they are a they're a bunch of post-communist atheists who for whom human life holds little to no value whatsoever and so the problems that can arise from that are just unspeakable again if you don't have black swan events if you've got a perfectly efficient supply chain ultimately if you do international commerce in such a manner that you have everything sourced from the least expensive location you will get to a point where eventually everybody's at the same level, which means we're all equally miserable or equally wealthy. It depends upon which side of the, the, the fence you're looking at this. But from a common sense perspective, if you're relying on people on the other side of the planet, what if you can't get that anymore? I mean, it's, it's like saying if, if you if I commute two hours each way to work every day and then my car breaks down, how sustainable is that? 
you know, if you can work from home, that, that that's fine. You still need to get the car repaired. Maybe, maybe they say, well, that's not good enough for us and you need to go find a new job. In, in the case of the supply chain for all the stuff that's being manufactured, you mentioned the, the medical thing. Yes, a friend of the podcast have been in contact with them. And I'm not saying them and the gender neutral political correct. I just don't want to identify this person any more than I have to. Um, talking about how the, the medical industry has a tremendous dependence on China for their supply chain. And this person mentioned that uh, when uh, Puerto Rico was wiped out by a hurricane recently, or it was a few years ago, the supply of was it saline? It was a supply of something that that's required in hospitals. So I want to say it was saline solution or something. I don't. It doesn't really matter what it was. It's something that's essential. A lot of it was was produced in Puerto Rico, so they had to immediately ration and quarantine. You know their supply. Quarantine was the wrong word. Sorry. They had to ration their supplies and hoard what they had. And only under the most emergency circumstances would they share what they had with other hospitals until the supply chain came back up. A lot of this stuff comes from China now. And one of the things this person was mentioning is, because I, I asked them, you know, in terms of, let's say, medical stuff, let's say you had to go into full prepping mode. And I don't mean the you're fighting the government or something like that. Let's just say you need a shelter in place for some reason. What would you want to have on hand for medical purposes? I was thinking in terms of first aid, uh, maybe pharmaceuticals if you could acquire them legally, um, maybe some nutraceutical kinds of things. One of the things they mentioned was N95 and 99 masks. That's November 95, November 99. These are um, uh, filtration masks that you can get. You can buy on Amazon if they're in supply. Um, I checked uh, yesterday. <laughs> You can get them at the end of March currently. Um, wow. So the, the kinds of masks you would see if you're seeing pictures in, in uh, China, South Korea, Japan, places where coronavirus is popping up right now, everybody's wearing these masks. They're N95 or N99. You can't get those right now. You probably should have those. It would be prudent to have a few of those on hand. And I do want to say that this whole topic of, of prepping – we're not talking about zombie apocalypse and stuff hitting the fan or fighting the government or anything like that. Just talking about pure prudence. Supply chains break down. And let's just say in your given locale, what if the supply chain for supplying food to grocery stores broke for 14 days? Mm-hmm. Within 100 miles. How long would it take for there to be full-blown riots? Oh yeah. <laughs> it would be it would be a lot quicker than any of us can imagine. I mean the the kind of supply chain interruption where restaurants run out of supplies within 3 days. Well, maybe mm -hmm. 2. Maybe less. It is the is the it gets to the question of being you know, saving for a rainy day, not just in terms of money, but in terms of supplies. So what would the what would the common sense things be that you'd want to have on hand. And I, I, I raise this as a, as a topic uh, with you. It's like, well, what kind of things would you want to stock up? And so obviously I've got a family. Uh, food is a good, is a good one. And I'm not going to say 25 year supply food that you'd buy from Alex Jones or something like that. Let's be realistic. If something happened, your time, your event horizon is six months at the longest. Mm -hmm. If if you had to stay in place for three months, 
that's probably longer than would be necessary. I mean, if, if the supply chains broke down for three months completely, I think we'd be beyond martial law into post-apocalyptic at that point. Oh already. yeah. Oh yeah. Easily, easily. I personally think six months would be your goal. If you're really concerned about that. And I'm personally not at this point, mm-hmm. but let's just say six months is your goal. Forget all of the doomsday people who say, get your 25 year shelf supply food. Just, just get the normal stuff you buy. And, th- and this is something where, um, 15 years ago, I, I was part of a, and I should say, I hung around a group that was, that said, Hey, you need to, you need to stock up and have six months supply of food on hand. And they were, they were quite enthusiastic about canning food and, 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 uh, getting supplies on hand. And I might've accumulated some stuff at the time. And the biggest lesson I learned at the time was don't be ruled by fear. Think about what you actually consume on a day-to-day basis. That's what you want to want to stock up on. And this is this is obviously expensive. If you if you only have three or four days supply of food on hand at any given time, stocking up to six months is not going to work. Not this week, but maybe every time you go shopping, just add a little more, add a little more. Mm-hmm. Look at the expiration dates on food in the grocery store. I do a lot of shopping at Costco and Sam's because I have a big family. They have things like canned food or canned chicken, uh, canned tuna. Mm-hmm. Canned chicken has two-year shelf life. Canned tuna can be anywhere, depending upon who the manufacturer is, anywhere from two to five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, dry beans and rice, if you seal it correctly, indefinitely. Spices, yeah, a long time. Um, pasta, wa- uh, yeah, pasta. Well, I'm I try to do keto, so that doesn't enter my mind. But yes, you're right. That's keep it sealed. Keep it, you know, vacuum sealed if you can. Um, and if you buy pasta. Be intelligent about it and buy buy spaghetti. Don't buy pasta that has, like, for example, you know, egg noodles. Egg noodles, when they're in the bag, they're a, a very small amount of noodles takes up a a large amount of space. Buy spaghetti, which basically just packs almost almost solid, so that you can have an enormous amount of calories um stable shelf life and you can compactify it so that it's not taking up your entire you know your entire basement your entire house your entire kitchen or something like that think about how how many meals you can get out of if you had i don't know a couple of square feet excuse me a couple of cubic feet so like think of a box 1 foot cubic and then filled with spaghetti that's a lot of calories. That's a lot of food. Um, and the other things that are that are extremely stable, I mean, stable for like millennia, are things like lentils. Um, and then another thing, talking about things that are really compact and can save you a tremendous amount of, of uh, water if, if water becomes an issue. You shouldn't be wasting water as much as possible on your own physical hygiene. What do I mean by that? Do I mean you shouldn't be cleaning yourself? Of course not. It's very important to maintain your physical hygiene, but you shouldn't be doing it by just you know splashing water on yourself because it, it could get to the point where just every drop of water becomes precious. Baby wipes, man. And that's a, they're really compact. They stack, they store. Um, 
And that's, that's how you bathe instead of, you know, wasting water by splashing it all over your person. Well, and you mentioned water. That's an important thing as well. I mean, especially for cooking and drinking that, uh, in terms of survival, water before food, you, yeah. you, you dehydrate before you, before you, um, die of not starve, having food, yeah. starve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, common sense things like water filters, whether it's a gravity water filter, um, if it's a long-term situation where maybe the municipal water supply isn't going to work. So something like an under sink filter may not work for you. Mm-hmm. Just common sense use or buy what you're going to actually use on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I've, I've had a gravity water filter for, I have to think about it, 14 years now. Wow. It's, it's, it's something where, Yes, I bought it because I was listening, listening to Alex Jones, but it was something that I actually use every single day. Mm-hmm. And it takes enough of stuff, junk out of the water, I can immediately tell whether I'm drinking tap water or I'm drinking something that's been filtered. So really? You can when, tell? Oh, yeah. When you go to a restaurant, you can immediately tell that's tap water as, as opposed to something else because it, it takes enough junk out of the water. Now, mm-hmm. as long as the, 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 the municipal water supply to your house is still running, you can definitely put serious uh, filters and they're not even that that expensive you go to Lowe's or Home Depot you can get some decent charcoal filters and put them in series that's you're looking at maybe $50 worth 50 to $100 worth depending on whether you're doing it yourself or paying somebody else to install it you can you can clean your water significantly at that point and then your your gravity water filters last even longer because you know the 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 the, the, the what am I saying? The endurance that they, they will support is based on how much they have to take out of the water. So if you, if the supply into it's pretty clean, then that'll work as well. Now, mm-hmm. if you're really worried about civilization breakdown, how far do you have to walk to go to go get five gallons of water? Mm-hmm. Is there a pond nearby? Is there a stream? This is more extreme than what I'm really talking about. But if you really want to go that far, that's the kind of thing you want to talk about. So if you don't have water, now that spaghetti... You know, it's yeah. not too not too awesome if you have to just like bite it raw as it is. Also, the lentils not too tasty if they haven't been cooked. Yeah. Right. Right. Um. So yeah, you have to have decent water. Um. Obviously, fire of some sort. Um. Mm-hmm. Again, common sense. Um. Again, if, I'm I'm personally thinking three months, six weeks, something like that. Propane. Propane can make can can heat water or can can heat food pretty efficiently uh it can mm-hmm. even uh, it, it's propane is is sufficiently clean burning in in a reasonably well ventilated garage you could probably get away with um have co2 alarms it would, would, would definitely help but or, or carbon monoxide alarms uh, if you're if you're worried about it but you you can cook food on on propane for quite a while uh pressure cookers makes it go even faster so, for Good example, point, yeah. I, I, so I mentioned dry beans and rice. Um, if you if you want to cook dry beans from the dry state and 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 um, prepare them, I want to say it's like eight hours if you just soak them and then cook them at normal atmosphere. But if you want to pressure cook them, you can have them done correctly within. I, I want to say it's. My wife's going to kick my butt for this one. It's either, <laughs> it's either thirty minutes or two hours, which is a big swing. But it, it's a lot less than eight hours. Yeah. So I want to say it's under an hour if you pressure cook it. So it, And it consider that if you've got a propane burner, 
that fuel expenditure is, I mean, the difference there is just enormous to get to exactly the same point. So yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point about, about getting a pressure cooker saves an enormous amount of fuel if it gets to that point. Yes. Another thing that I didn't think about till uh, my medical friend pointed this out, toilet paper. And you mentioned yeah. baby wipes, uh, obviously as being a way to save water, but toilet paper, mm-hmm. not just because the obvious reason, but <laughs> for a barter purpose. Oh yeah, uh, it, it's it's probably not the kind of thing where I, I don't I don't think most people on in my neighborhood have multiple months of toilet paper on supply, but they might have other things that I'd be willing to tra- they'd be willing to trade for toilet paper if if it came to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, also, it, it, if, toilet paper is, is a luxury that we all completely take for granted. So yeah, because the alternative the alternative is is that you leaves. Um leaves or just you know immediately washing yourself but then then you're using water again you see you're using way too much water proportionately so yeah it's that's been one of the things that i've been doing is just every time i go to the store whether i like it whether i need it or not i buy i buy a pack of of toilet paper and then if you just keep doing that it it adds up very it adds up quickly and then you don't get stuck in a position where you know (laughs) it can get it can get a little sloppy if you run out of toilet paper so you know and talk about that's one of the things um that you see when when you've you go into third world countries and and there's just all kinds of sickness just constantly being transmitted and you say what in the hell is going on that these people keep getting these these bugs and and not to be gross, but these bugs are transmitted by contact with human feces. And you think to yourself, how in the hell are these people coming in contact with human feces? And then you realize, oh, they don't have any toilet paper. That's what's going on. Or the I'm, UN is there, yeah. Or the UN is there. Exactly. Well said. Mm, mm, that's another episode. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, well, if the UN has to come to your country, you're in trouble. Yeah. I, I don't know how you how you recover from that in a short order. Yeah. Um, batteries and candles. Uh, do I have to explain that further? No. That's- I mean, batteries, because it, it, it's not for lighting. Well, yes, lighting, but, you know, like, like a, a lantern or something. But if you're in a long-term situation where you don't have electricity, probably just conserve and... Uh, conserve your energy as much as possible. And I don't mean physical energy, conserve your energy as much as possible. Go to sleep and the sun goes down. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the batteries really are going to be for communication. Um, listen to the radio, AM, FM, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have a decent battery powered AM, FM radio, yeah, now, would be the, now would be the time to get it. They're, How they're, many of us no longer have a radio in the house? Hmm. Well, I don't count because I'm an amateur radio nerd and I've been collecting radios for years. So I have multiples, but yeah, exactly. I mean, when the power goes out, you listen to AM radio locally. I live in the Midwest. We have ice storms every once in a while. The power will go out. That's, that's what you listen to is the radio because that's when, that's where you're going to hear what part of towns or what part of town is, is, or how many people are out of power. What's the estimated uh, time that the the utility thinks that they're going to be able to repair everything, then you can start to figure out, okay, how long am I going to have to be in the state that I'm in? And it could be ice storms, it could be tornadoes, it could be 
a breakdown in civilization because the supply chain from China broke down. I don't know. But Here's an to- interesting question. Um, do most phones today have um, radio reception capability? Do you know? A lot of Android phones do. I'm iPhone- looking on mine right now. I don't think mine has... I don't think mine has a radio on it. You've got an iPhone and I... Okay. Yes, because you gave it wait, to me. <laughs> wait. Yeah, wait, thanks, wait. Thanks again for that one, by the way. <laughs> yeah, way inside baseball on the chipset on those phones. Some of the iPhones technically have an FM receiver in them, but it's turned off by Apple and there's no way to turn it on. Android phones... Um, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's there, but it's permanently disabled. It's their walled garden. They get to do whatever they want with it. Um, I, I've... Um, before I quit being a mobile application developer, uh, I, I acquired a few Android handsets and uh, I have a Nokia 3.1 Plus and it's got an FM receiver built into it as well. The battery system on that and the power system on it is not optimal. So if you want to be able to receive FM radio, going through your cell phone is not the way to do it because there are so many other things running on an Android phone to keep it going. I mean, just the yeah. screen alone, that that a lot of them are super high definition. Just the screen draws a tremendous amount of power. Any background application, whether it has connection to the network or it's trying to make connection to the network, it's going to draw a lot of power. Just go buy it. Just go buy a little radio. Yeah, yeah just they're they're not expensive. Um, no. If you splurge, and by splurge I mean twenty five bucks, you can get a yeah. really good. You know, whether it's a Sony or a Sanjin or something like that, there are some really good radios out there. And and when things hit the fan. Communication is the number one thing. Yep. Well, getting information. It's not the number one thing. It staying in the state of grace is the number one thing. There, but yeah, communication yeah. is going to be significantly important. So uh, that that's where the the batteries came in. And candles, it helps to see where you're going at night. Blessed candles even more so. We we miss this because uh, Candlemas February second. Wait till next year and store your candles and, and get something for that. But blessed candles, uh, if you're in the Midwest where tornadoes happen, blessed candles are known to have, um, and I don't mean to say this in a, in a, um, why am I blanking on words all of a sudden? It's that, it's that time of night. <laughs> um, not schizophrenic. It, it's the superstition. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. It's not a superstition, but uh, when there are when there are heavy duty storms going on, light your blessed candle and and say pious prayers to to be protected against this. Mm-hmm. And of course, sidebar among sidebars and tangents uh, to protect your property, um, bury palm crosses at the corner of your property. Um, that that's always a great protection against uh, severe weather and and um, fire and other calamity physical calamities to the places you own. These are not superstitions. Treat them with the reverence and and devotion they deserve. Pray to Saint Barbara that your 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 property isn't leveled by fire or lightning. Pray to the archangels to protect you. Pray to your guardian mm-hmm. angel to protect mm-hmm. you. I mean, ultimately we're in a spiritual battle here. All all the stuff we're talking about, whether it's food or water or baby wipes or masks or vitamins or all the rest of this stuff. This is just to keep the physical temple of the Holy Ghost intact. We ultimately all end our earthly existence dead. Yes. We, none of us get out of this alive is the That's better right. way of saying it. 
So it doesn't matter how how well we get through the prepping scenario here. It's how well we, you know, the physical prepping scenario, it's how well we get through the, the spiritual prepping scenario. So all this stuff I'm, we're talking about here, whether it's, you know, pharmaceuticals or vitamins or water or all this other stuff, how about rosary? How about having mm-hmm. scapulars? How about figuring out who around you can forgive your sins? And Ooh, I've, this, I've a... this is this is something that that's I I'm I'm half preaching to myself here because I only go <laughs> to the Latin Mass. I don't know where the local closest person is who can legally or legally who can actually validly forgive my sins because they don't say Mass in Latin. And I need to figure this out. I really should. I've said this more than once on the podcast. And okay, I'm an idiot. I haven't figured it out yet. I know where the buildings are. I just don't know where they are. Um, well, that's the, that's the issue within Novus Ordo parishes is that, well, I mean, obviously the, that priest can hear your confession and his, his absolution is valid, but w- good luck finding someone, you know, you, and finding someone and then getting them to hear your confession. It's like pulling chicken teeth. Whereas before, back in the day, I mean, you know, you would walk into a church and there was a priest on duty there and you could go into the sacristy or maybe he was out in the nave or whatever. And it was just not, it wasn't that terribly difficult to find a priest and, you know, you say, hey, can you hear my confession? And off you go. Now it's just like pulling chicken teeth. You know, where are they? How do you get, how do you get a hold of them during the day? Um, Or in an emergency. Yeah. And I'm not saying you would want to live next to a defrocked priest who had to be forced out of the priesthood, but if you did, or he was in the neighborhood, he still has the power to forgive sins in, in, in the- In, in the, life in, or death situation, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ecclesia suplet. The, the church supplies jurisdiction even if it's been forcibly removed from somebody. He is a priest for life. Yes. The only no, thing- No, he's a priest for eternity. Aside, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, for eternity. Um, the only thing that's been removed when they're laicized is the jurisdiction. They, they've, but they're still priests, and that's kind of this goes back to the whole the whole papacy controversy is that people kind of are fuzzy on this. Priests and and bishops are consecrated and they're anointed with oil. So once you're once you're ordained a priest and once you're consecrated a bishop, bishops will be bishops for all eternity. They'll stand before Christ at their particular judgment as bishops. Um, the papacy is not that. The papacy is a purely juridical office. So this is one of those points of precision that you know people kind of get get fuzzy on. And they get fuzzy on it in both directions. Oh, so Uncle Ted McCarrick has been has been laicized, so he's not a priest anymore. Well, he doesn't have any priestly faculties. Oh, but he's still a priest, and he's still a bishop, and that's how he'll appear before Christ at his particular judgment. And good grief, that's oh. If you Ted can McCarrick only was imagine my, how bad that's going to be. If you Ted know, McCarrick I mean, was my neighbor and I was in the danger of I, I was in danger of death, I would go to him for, for confession. Absolutely, sure. I yep. hope to not be in that situation either way, but yeah. I, you can't ignore the, uh, God will put these people, even laicized priests, uh, in positions to be able to do his will. Mm-hmm. And yep. if you don't recognize that and take advantage of it, well then, sorry, um, plan B isn't really what you're shooting for eternally. But if you don't pay attention to this stuff, that could be where you end up. Yep. Yep, it's we have to think about all of these things. So, well, 
here's well, hoping. On, on the on on the prepping list, the other thing I had was uh, practice prepping. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, store the things you actually eat on it on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. I mentioned uh, Costco canned chicken and um, yeah. and and canned diced tomatoes and and things like that. We we regularly make uh, chicken chili based on mm-hmm. just stuff that's could easily sit on the shelf for five years. And it, it's it's practical stuff. It's tasty. And then by that mean by that and on that topic, spices. Spices yeah. last a long time. Just you can kind of ignore what the expiration date on this stuff is. It doesn't go. It doesn't become dangerous when the expiration date passes. It becomes a little bit less potent. Right. So if it's cayenne pepper, it might not be true Tex-Mex, you know, curl your toenails kind of kind of spice. It may be more middle Oklahoma kind of spice. Weak. That's yeah, all ex- that happens ex- to exactly. spices. They just get, yeah. But it, it's like, it, but the spices, whether it's whether whether it's the you know burn your mouth kind of spices or tangy spices, which kind of things like that, the mixture of spices and the way you artfully change them, you can take essentially the same stuff spice it differently three days a week or five days a week and have it present like different food. Right. And I've heard it said that in a survival situation, if you're eating, you know, unseasoned beans and rice seven days a week, people will get to a point where they simply say, I refuse to eat because it, it's that same bland taste every day. Yeah. What's the point? I'd rather starve to death. Make it interesting. Spices are easy. They're cheap. They're not that and hard the, to grow. the one that we haven't mentioned that is the most important and that doesn't lose its potency and has a shelf life that's basically indefinite is salt. Why, oh, that, why not? That's why it was used as, as pay. That's why it was used as currency for a long time. The whole phrase, yeah. worth your weight in salt. It's, mm-hmm. Are you, you worth your meat. salt? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. And try, try having, like, for example... Um, Oh, every, every time I make a, a turkey, like a Thanksgiving, you know, um, obviously you make broth out of, out of the turkey. Have you ever, have you ever eaten um, unsalted the f- broth that's been made on the stove? It's gross. It's, it's terrible. It doesn't taste good until you put the salt in it. Um, and it's the same thing like we were talking about with um, lentils and beans and things like that. Ooh, they're they're really good but you you've got to have salt you've got to salt those things otherwise like super nerd said they get they're kind of it, it they're not good the first time the 15th time that you would have to eat those things without any seasoning at all it could mess with your mind and this is this is a serious thing and this is why food and the supply chain of food during war is one of the most important things because that is what maintains morale. Um, it's one of the most important things contributing to morale is food and the quality of food. So yeah, you don't want to get to a point where the food you're eating is so gross and so nasty that it's causing you, that the food itself is causing you to despair and to hate life. And yeah, so don't get caught with your pants around your ankles without any salt. And I mean, how cheap is salt? How easy does it store? It's nothing to go to the store and buy 
you know, multiple packs of Morton salt in those, in those canisters. I mean, it's just nothing to do that. And it's, Why it's, wouldn't it's you a do great that? material to get blessed as well. Also that, also that at epiphany, especially. Yes. And, and, um, in terms of, uh, spice being the variety of life, and I, I said it backwards on purpose, um, just have di- a whole bunch of different spices. I mentioned I mentioned it before, but I mentioned it again on, on, on purpose. You know, mm-hmm. you can take, it's kind of like uh, uh, men's business suits. You can wear a white shirt and a blue blazer and khaki pants and five days a week. And all you have to do is change the tie. You got, you got it. You got it. Yep. Um, yep. Just change the spices, mix it up a little bit. And, and um, that definitely goes a long way in keeping the mental hygiene going. And on that purpose and on that, that point as well, Having something to keep the mind occupied, books, whether if you have a family with young kids, games, uh, Mm -hmm. activities to keep people from going stir crazy and and getting cabin fever. Yeah. Um, Intentionally not on this list um, in terms of high priority guns. If something something, um, goes wrong and there's a long-term situation where you need to kind of shelter in place, you do not want to be in a situation where you're shooting it out with your neighbors. Gunshot means there's somebody's either trying to rob somebody else or you've got something to protect. Yeah. You're going to attract a ton of attention at that point. That's not to say you don't need to be able to defend yourself, but. Well, listeners to this podcast know my position on firearms and prepping and being ready, being well-trained and don't forget that, you know, if you do have, if you do have firearms, you also need to be able to clean them. So you need to have cleaning supplies too. Don't forget that. I think a lot of people tend to overlook that. Right. But Um, I I guess where I was going with this is you don't want to, you you don't want to over-prioritize something, which is a last line of defense. If we're in a situation where we've got to stay in place for a few months, if I'm using a firearm, it's because I'm about to be overrun. Yeah, that's I, you're I'm, you're at the end game of some, you're at the end of something if you're actually discharging your weapon. Yeah. yeah, I'm using blunt instruments or edged weapons first because they're quiet. Again, <laughs> Man, this this is all this, this, is, this is getting dark. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean let's be yeah. honest. If 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 the whole yeah. point is to survive and protect your family and and your your neighbors, you do not want to attract attention to yourself, and that's just. That's a very loud way of doing it. I would so, argue the other side, though, is that if they're if they're close enough to you that you can use an edged weapon, um, man, I me personally, I'd rather take them out at four hundred and fifty yards if I possibly can. Well, and that gets into knowing your neighbors really well. I mean, if you've yeah. got a really active. Um, a really well-engaged neighborhood and you've got a really coordinated neighborhood watch and things go sideways at a metropolitan level. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing. If you happen to live in a neighborhood that has a lot of cops and firefighters, just theoretically, um, that's something where you could coordinate these kind of things and say, okay, major intersections every mile as we, as we radiate out, we're going to put checkpoints here and we're going to have snipers 300 yards up either in, in, in on some of the intersections to make sure we don't have looters coming in. That's all a matter of how well coordinated your neighborhood is. Yeah. Um, another thing too, depending on how long something goes, grow food. The sunshine yep. is free. Yep. The grace of God there. Uh, and, it gives, and the, it gives the kids Bloom, something to like do. Mike Bloomberg 
assures all of us that a complete moron can grow food. So, you know. I, I heard about that. Um, and you, you have, you have a degree in, in, in agriculture. Is it, uh, is something to do with farm science? Degree. Okay. What, whatever. It's, it's, it, it's from that land grant school over in Manhattan. Yes. Um, it, is it really that simple? Isn't, isn't, isn't farming a little bit more of a science? Isn't it a business? It, you can't just take any Wahoo out of a coal mine and say, go plant some seeds. Can you? Oh no, especially not these days. No, no, it's it's always been. It is an art, and it is a it is a massive skill set. And Bloomberg saying something like that just shows you how truly, truly detached from reality some of these people are. Yeah, I have a feeling that that uh, that statement is going to be seeing the, a lot of airtime in places like um, Iowa and Wisconsin and mm-hmm. uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Nebraska. Well, Nebraska is pretty red. Yeah. But that all assumes that uh, he can beat the communist. Man. I just don't even know what to say about that. They're literally going to nominate an 80 year old card carrying communist. It's just, who who had what did he have? Did he have a heart attack or a stroke a few months ago? He just ago? had a heart attack a couple months ago. A heart ago. attack. He just yeah, he just had a heart attack. It's wow. Wow. And then we haven't even talked about Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe's done. Uncle Joe, what did he do today? He declared that he was running for United States Senate and he did he said something. <laughs> I, I heard like, I heard that, yeah. Oh my goodness. Like Super Nerd says off air all the time. I mean, this is elder abuse. This is absolutely elder abuse. Whoever is oh, forcing him to do say? it, yeah. Um, that he is a candidate for the United States Senate and that people could vote for the other Biden if he is not their preferred presidential candidate. It's just, what? That doesn't even make any sense. I mean, his brain is not his brain is not firing correctly. It's obvious. And I'm, I'm being completely serious. He's he's losing it in his brain. Um, and they just keep trotting him out and raising that money. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's funny until it isn't because there's there's a coin flips chance that one of those Democrats could actually be elected. I don't it just know. it just depends upon what Trump decides to say when he opens his mouth or tweets. Well, my track record on this is is pretty bad. I I still to this day am shocked by the events of the first week of November of 2016, but yeah i don't know it's all kayfabe it's all kayfabe it's all professional wrestling and but boy you would think that they would put the democrats would put on a better fake show than what they're putting on it's just it is unbelievable it's not like they don't have a history of killing people who get in their way uh yep yep I mean, if, 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 if Bloomberg had been there from the beginning, I think Trump would be in trouble. Well, and who is Bloomberg going to tap as his running mate? What? what, what, what oh, he was talking about having Hillary. Um, and everybody was like, everybody checked to see if Michael Bloomberg is taking uh, taking those antidepressants and if he's having suicidal ideation. I mean, naming Hillary Clinton as your VP on the ticket is is as close to suicidal ideation as you can get without explicitly thinking about, you know, hanging yourself. I mean, it's just, 
what what are you thinking you know well, i guess I, they all think that they can defend themselves d- against each other but if yeah. i'm the trustees of michael bloomberg or his descent i don't know if he has kids but if i'm his descendants and he says he something like that and he ends up dying and of course he's also said that um if elected president, he's going to sell all of his holdings in Bloomberg Media. But he's also saying that he's going to elect or he's going to select uh, Hillary as his running mate. Yes, there there could be a very interesting legal argument to be made that he's already lost control be- because he's suicidal. He's lost the ability to make decisions on his own estate. And so his estate could challenge the legality of him selling anything. That's a very interesting. I'm not point. even joking about this. I know, I know. It's man. All y'all lawyers can email in about that and let me know if that's over I mean, the top or not. I don't. I don't hardly write about politics, about secular politics anymore because it's just I don't even. I, I cannot engage this on a level pretending that it's sanity. You know, you, you've I, seen I the Oliver Stone movie JFK. Yes, there, there's the, the the Mr. X. He's he's talking with um, um, Field of Dreams guy, and he says that after Vietnam, after after Nixon was elected, it all becomes um, make believe. It it's it it he it is like detached from reality, and so he they stopped caring about what was actually being said because it was all make believe. They they mm-hmm. said one thing, but reality was different. Yeah, we're so far beyond that now. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't be one of these. Um, Kevin Costner, by the way. Kevin I, Costner. I said, I said and Field Mr. X guy. is Donald Sutherland. Yeah, yeah. Well, in in the movies, yes. Yes. I, I I couldn't be one of these political punditry websites because I just... What, what do you even say? There's just... I, I they're, they're talking about this stuff and they're writing about it. And I just... I don't understand how the pundits just don't go crazy. Um, because there's nothing there's nothing of any substance to to hook into and latch into it's just all so completely bizarre that it's hard to be a serious adult and and converse about these things because it it isn't serious and it isn't adult and it's not real and so what do you even say at that point so you know sorry that i don't write about secular politics much anymore but that's the reason why. And, you know, obviously I've got, I've got a little bit of a, a task that I'm working on right now with the church and, and, you know, doing what we can on that end. But that's, even if, even if the churchy stuff wasn't happening, I don't think I'd be writing about secular politics that much because I can't pretend, I can't pretend that it's sane. I can't pretend that it's normal. Right. And, and, you know, the, the last note I had here in, in my prepping list overlaps kind of in a way with what you're saying. You know, I was talking about growing your own food if for no other reason than it gives your kids something to do mm-hmm. on a regular basis. That's to go out and pull weeds. Spiritually speaking, we need to pull weeds on a regular basis or else we're going to end up caring about things that don't matter. Like yeah. politics. Exactly. I mean, yeah. we, 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 know, mean- we know that the, what is owed to Caesar doesn't have anything to do with what's owed to God. And what's owed to God is obscured by a couple of bishops who wear white, and some of us have serious questions about which one is the symbol of unity, and either one has serious problems, depending upon how you look at this. Uh, The Catholic faith is eternal. We know that for a fact. 
the the mass as handed down through tradition is real. We know that without a, without a, any any question. Just continue following with what has always been handed down, what has always been done by the church. We we yep. know it's going to be attacked. We know it's going to be attacked from the inside. Yep. We we know that Christ Himself said that when He returns, will He find faith? Mm-hmm. Boy, and that's it, the scare. That's a scary verse. That is a scary verse. Will I find any faith on earth? And also that in coupled with the um, if if I if I don't shorten those days, then even the elect will be deceived. That's those are really, really intimidating verses and should give everyone pause. Yes. When we look at the situation in the church right now, I mean, it looks kind of obvious as a problem. The If we can flatter ourselves enough to say that we're in the elect and we you know, do that with, with caution, we can at least see that there's a problem and we need to be on guard. Mm-hmm. Meaning that Christ isn't talking about these times. It gets worse and it gets more confusing. Mm-hmm. And the and, Blessed and, Virgin has also given us the same warning as well. So there's really no excuse to not be, to at least not have your head on a swivel, <laughs> to put right. it mildly. And, and for me, as, as an adult, being in this this particular point in time, I don't think the end of, end of the world is going to happen in my lifetime, which means I don't know if it's going to happen in my children's lifetime, but i got to be able to educate and prepare them just in case it does. These are the kind of things you need to look out for, be wary of. Well, we, we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen, but we know it's going to be subtle, like subtle like the serpent, and it's it's going to attack and, and take down a lot of the elect. That's yeah. right in Scripture. Yep. You had a friend and who what? I have a friend who, who says often that it, he says, if I knew for a fact that the end of the world was going to be tomorrow, I would get up and do my normal things just as normal. I mean, you can't that. And that's, it's in a sense, that's, that's true. You should be ready for it at all times. And then all we can do is just keep going, just keep going, just keep doing what you're going to do and not, and not get into a place. I mean, we've just spent the last two hours talking about prepping and things like that. But you shouldn't, it shouldn't get to the point where like doomsday cults, for example, this is, I guess this is kind of the point I'm trying to make. The The Catholic church, the one true faith is not a doomsday cult. Okay. So we're not, you know, doing these completely bizarre, strange things that these crazy people that get in these cults do. Yeah. It, we're, we're prudent. And as it says in scripture, there's all, there's stories in scripture about, including in the old Testament about, you know, people saving up, you know, putting grain in the granary. Hey, we know there's going to be, we know we're on a cyclical um, drought situation here, probably a good idea to, to stack up grain and store grain in the granary, so on and so forth. Um, but we're, but we're at the same time, we're not a doomsday cult. So we just keep going. We have to keep going and, and doing our day, daily chores and responsibilities. And, you know, you just got to keep going. You can't, you can't shut down and go run and hide in a cave. That's, that's not what we're saying. We're finding that, that nice balance, not too much, not too little, just like our lady, not too much, not too little, um, where you're, 
you are prepped, you are ready to go, you've, you're thinking in advance about contingencies and so forth, but not descending into some sort of bizarre depression revolving around doomsday cult-like ideation. That's that's not cool. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah, be prudently prepared. But yeah. when the time when the time comes that when your time is, is, is called, whether it's because people figured out you're Catholic and they want to kill you for it, or it's just the end of your natural life, yeah, that'll come. And maybe there will be some times between now and then where you need to be able to provide for the fact that normal supply chains are down for three weeks. Yep. If if that doesn't come to pass, then you just have a few a few weeks or, or months worth of food that you cycle through mm-hmm. uh, on your shelf. And if something were to happen, I mean, if you're up in northern Minnesota, you're probably saying, dude, we go through this every winter yeah. um, where you get snowed in and it's not, you know, it's three or four months before you can get out again. And, and you store up in the, in the in the fall and then you come back out in the in the spring and you go to market and restock. So it's this isn't complete insanity and, and, and scaremongering. No. Um, it, it's it's common sense. Yep. You know, read read the read the signs of, of nature and be ready for it. And just remember that the vast majority of people in in post Christian Western civilization today, what what is it? Four days. Most people have something like four days worth of food. That's that's not prudent. That's just not prudent. That's not enough. And so you should correct that. That's all we're saying. Yep. Yep. Well, we are not quite at two hours, but uh, I made the comment at the beginning of the recording that it was uh, not yet Lent, but uh, it is now midnight central time zone, so it's now Ash Wednesday. Um, Fast begins. Yep. Well, yeah, I I finished my wine. I'm fine. Um, Mountain time zone, you got a few more minutes, but um, (laughs) uh, probably a good time to wrap up the podcast. I think so. I think so. All right. The email address for the podcast, where you can send feedback, comment, suggestions, um, ideas for what to do during Lent. Email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Anne's benefactors. At least one mass every single day, mm-hmm. several days, multiples. Yeah. Uh, and once a week, there is a requiem mass for everybody who died the previous week. I say this every podcast, and I can't stress it enough. Please pray for these priests. Oh, yeah. Um, I made the comment during during the prepping section that if gunshots are heard, people are going to converge, and you become a target, uh, whether you're defending yourself or attacking. Um, all the demons know who the priests are, and they want to attack, and the only thing holding it back is God's not allowing it, whether it's because we're praying for them or not. I don't know. I, I don't have insight to that, but um, I know that the, the communion of saints definitely works, and we're part of that. So pray for the pray for the priests. Uh, they definitely need our prayers. They're being attacked from all sides every single day. So pray for them. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for the mailing address because there's still not yet a uh, means of electronic donation outside of Bit. Bitcoin, but you know, nobody's donated to that. So who cares? Uh, but the email address or the mail, the mailing address, Mark found that and, um, no Richards this week. I'm sure that'll change next time. Um, but so, so Mark donated, thank you very much. And, and into Lent, we go with the Matthew 1720 initiative, Matthew 1720 fast twice a week, if you can, and pray every day, fourfold intention that anti-Pope 
Bergoglio be publicly recognized as being an anti-pope and the whole anti-papacy be nullified, um, that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that likewise Pope Benedict repent of whatever he might need to repent of, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and likewise someday achieve the beatific vision. Fourfold and as hard as it is, number three, very, very important. Pray, pray for the man Jorge Bergoglio. It's he, he's not beyond. He's not beyond redemption. No human being is, even if Bergoglio is in fact the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist with a capital T. He's a human being. It is possible that he could repent and kind of unwind the Judas Iscariot dynamic. So. Um, and be, be, in other words, be the be the historical bookend to the Judas Judas Iscariot situation. It is possible, so please do not forget to pray for the man Jorge Bergoglio. And that's hard. And that that's there's another Lenten penance for you. Pray for Bergoglio. He might only have one lung, but as long as he's sucking oxygen, he can save a soul Absolutely. or lose it. Pray for but him. If, if you if you don't believe that, then you believe that one man's sin is greater than our Lord's death on the cross. And if that's what you believe, then, oh, you're in trouble. You better get right on that. Or you're believing in predestination, in which case you're saying that Christ suffered in vain for no good reason. And that's another genus of problems. That's the next episode. We'll get it. Well, we should do a Protestantism, uh, heirs of Protestantism episode. I was just talking with a, a Protestant, um, I wouldn't say colleague, but uh, somebody, somebody in the in the programming industry. I went to a, a gathering, a nerds gathering of, of programmers this evening, and uh, we got to talking about religion. And he said he was Protestant, and we were talking about just Christianity in general. And he said, and he said what religion are you? And I said, the Catholic. And he said, oh, so do, do you understand what, I forget what, I don't, I don't even remember which, which brand he was. I said, y'all look the same to me. It's okay. <laughs> So, and, and he thought it was funny too. So deliciously racist. We love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like you, you don't accept the Pope. So yeah, yep. That, that's that's really all I recognize. So yep. Well, until next time, I am Super Nerd, and I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless.